Welcome to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast, the show that empower you to redefine the life you want and live your best life now. I'm Francine Belay, your host, corporate and personal branding strategist, speaker and author of the book, Personal Branding in the Digital Age, How to Become an Own Expert, Thrive and Make a Difference in a Connected World. I'm super, super thrilled to bring you inspirational stories, strategies, and practical tips to get more meaning in your work and in your life, make more money, and lead a movement to change the world. I am on a mission to help visionary entrepreneurs and leaders to find their unique position in the new economy to make more impact. So, Happy New Year 2020! To all of you, I wish you a year full of happiness, joy, and success. In today's episode, I'd like to bring you the highlight of 2019 and especially the top seven episodes that have made the top of the 2019. Um, so, and they are also saw the most downloads. So those are the great episodes actually that I also love. Uh, but this is really based purely on the statistic of the download that I'm bringing you those seven key episodes that you all love uh, throughout the year. First to top the list is the episode number 23, a digital platform to change the identity of a nation through storytelling with Hoden Nalai. So Hoden was a journalist, a Somali journalist who actually was based in Toronto, Canada and came back in her country, Somalia, but sadly was killed um, only a few weeks after we recorded this episode and it was released. Um, so, so many people actually um, got in touch to express their sadness, their deepest uh, anger about losing this really brilliant mind. And um, the, the download of this episode has been like the top of the top of uh, 2019. And I'd like to bring you this clip, um, this short clip uh, with uh, my interview with Hoden. And, um, you know, when she talked about her love of journalism and how she actually, as a kid, wanted to become a journalist and finally was doing something else because for coming back to the love of her life. Um, you know, she also told me about why we need to tell our own story. So without further ado, here is the clip with Hoden. Um, I mean, I was a teenager at 17 years old. I was winning awards in my university for having a, you know, the best radio show on campus. And I never pursued it because I was scared. Just like you said, my parents told me, you're never going to earn money doing that. You're never going to be successful. What, you know, why do you want to earn minimum wage when you have a university degree? But that was my passion. And I felt like I had the voice to be on radio, but I didn't pursue it because of that fear of lacking of not being able, able, able to make money. And yet, Yes, journalism is difficult business to make money. You don't get in this business for the money. You get in it because you actually love it. Because it's that love that you have for it that keeps you going. You know, I would have quit a long time ago, last six years of doing this work, if it was about the money. But I know with the right work, with the right timing, the money comes. You just got to do the work. And I can say now, looking six years ago back to today, 
I'm, I'm just starting to turn profit on my company this year. And it's because of doing the work, building the audience, you know, taking care of the content, you know, creating the social media channels and developing, you know, content over and over and again, because you're only as good as your last story, as you know. (laughs) So it's challenging, but I think we got to get away from that creativity, that lack man mindset when it comes to creativity and saying people from our communities are not good enough unless they're doctors and lawyers or unless they have a nursing degree. But if they earn an okay income and they love what they're doing, what's wrong with that? Yeah, I think that your example is going to show the, the point. And then I've interviewed so many other women as well, uh, you know, from uh, different backgrounds, coming from different, uh, uh, you know, cultures, who also told me the same, actually, that, you know, they, they had that, uh, you know, feeling or desire to be creative, but they probably say, hey, 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 I didn't immigrate for you to just go and do this creative stuff, right? Uh, because that was the mindset before, where they thought that those creativity subjects were, not like good as doctor, lawyer, or accountant. <laughs> um, so I think that with you and with people who are showing that with some creativity, um, you know, uh, some communication, um, you know, uh, degrees and um, skills, you can still make it. Uh, tell me also, why actually do you think that is it important that we tell our story? Well, that's what I actually was going to add to you is that if we don't have more storytellers from our communities, especially in the African diaspora communities, who's going to continue the tradition of storytelling? Storytelling has changed. You know, before it was the mom and dad sitting in the village talking to their grandmother and the grandmother telling the story and then the story continues. But media is changing. Social media has changed the game for how people learn about culture. So if we don't become the creators of our own content, we're going to be at the mercy of people telling the stories of Africa and that's what I realized a long time ago we need to invest in young people who can carry the torch because Africa was a tradition to tell stories it was tradition to learn from your grandparents but all that's disappearing because when the people die the story is dying but who's going to keep the stories alive uh, when when you were kids was it what actually was the job that you wanted to do were you dreaming of doing some a particular job when you were a kid I have, ironically, the journals Uh in my home. I wanted to be a TV host. Oh, okay. So it's not (laughs) It's so weird. Like from the time I was, you know, going to school, I was very good at writing. Um, My parents thought for sure, okay, well, just a disclaimer, my parents for sure thought I was the most westernized daughter or child they ever had. They never thought I'd be interested in Somali culture or even in my own religion. They were like, this girl, she's so westernized. She's just going to be like probably marry some white guy or something, you know? (laughs) So it's just ironic that like I became the most back-to-culture person in my entire family of the 12 kids. And I'm the first one after 35 years to come back to the country. Yeah, that that's so funny. How does that happen? I think it's knowledge seeking. I think oh. it's that when you're a conscious person, when you're aware of your environment, of you know 
the DNA, the dynamics of humanity, you become interested in your roots because you understand that there's nothing better than having the foundation of culture, even for our own children as Somalis. I mean, a lot of the problems that we have in the diaspora as Somali communities has to do with lack of identity. It's the children. They do not know who they are. Mm-hmm. Are they, you know, they move to these new countries. They have no establishment of, of culture, of religion. It's just that they're basically left to fend for themselves. And I think that's unfair. And I, and I think that, thank God I had good role models in my parents that I was able to have, you know, a good career and a good life and education. But many young Somalis are not fortunate to have that. They don't have the role models. They don't have the parents that have the will. So, you know, my pain came from wanting to save the next generation from that. So the next episode that was the most downloaded in uh, 2019 was the episode number 24, The Power of Your Story to Influence and Impact Others with Celine Costa. So um, Celine is actually, um, you know, a master storyteller. She has circumnavigated the globe uh, by doing a social experiment and she told her story and how she actually started to, um, decided to do this experiment, um, and how she ended up discovering herself and quitting her job as a result, but actually just to find her passion and what she most loved to do and get paid well to do it. So she actually had completely had to let go of her old identity and the love lessons that she's learned throughout her journey was such a beautiful one. Here's my clip with Celine. Well, as you alluded to, there's, uh, you know, you, uh, finding yourself or realizing who you are is a lifelong journey, mm-hmm. right? We're constantly uncovering, we're constantly discovering. Um, but I would say that where it really clicked together. Um, I've been, I, I'm really into self-development. So I've really been, have put a lot of time into, you know, quote unquote, finding myself and understanding what I wanted. But like I said, when I was, uh, in uh, corporate America, I was hiding from myself. I really just wasn't even allowing myself to look in a mirror and tell me what I really wanted. And, uh, when the, when that started to fall apart in a good way was, uh, when I quit my job and I decided, okay, I'm going to give myself one year and I'm going to do something that's really going to challenge me. And that's when I decided to do a social experiment in which I would circumnavigate the globe by couch surfing through human connection. So what that means is I spent a year essentially staying in the homes of strangers, of people who were connected to me somehow and challenging myself to, to have these like extremely human connections and actually be able to, to connect with people, to like learn more about myself. And that year is when everything just started clicking into place because I realized that I basically had to completely let go of an identity that I had spent years and years and years constructing. And when I went out into the world and, and did what I, and did this experiment, which was a social experiment on human kindness, on human willingness to help one another, um, people didn't know where I went to school. People didn't know what the name of the company that I used to work for in New York. People didn't care. And so I had to essentially strip myself completely naked identity wise and go out into the world and just be who I really was. And sometimes it was terrifying because I actually realized I had to learn 
that I wanted things that I didn't know I wanted, you know, that, that I discovered things, pieces about myself that I didn't know were existed. Like I didn't know that I'm a daredevil. I like love jumping off of planes. I didn't know that about myself. I love like speeding. I didn't know that about myself either. Um, I love connecting with people, meeting people of all kinds of backgrounds and, and just like storytelling. And I, and I'm very curious. And these are all pieces that didn't really click until I had to essentially be like, okay, I can't hide behind this identity anymore. I have to just go out there and be fully myself. And that's when I started this exploration stage. And in terms of when did I know what I was supposed to do with my life? Um, because it found me mm-hmm. because I essentially that year, what I, promised myself was that I was going to design a life that I was proud of. And I was just going to do what I love doing with no pressure to do anything else but that. And so every day I'd wake up and I would go out into the world. I'd be traveling. I'd be meeting really fascinating people, spending hours in a coffee shop with a stranger I just met just because, because I had the time. Um, writing and documenting about my experiences. And as I did that, that's when my storytelling business started to create itself. My brand started to create itself. People started to know me as the girl who was doing the social experiment. People started to contact me, uh, offering me places to stay as I went around the world. So essentially my brand developed so organically to the point where people started being like, oh my gosh, how are you doing this? Show me how you're getting published uh, on Forbes and Business Insider. Like my story basically started to get out there into the world. People started to approach me and I said, yeah, sure, I'll teach you. And eventually I realized that not only did I naturally just absolutely love to show people how to build a brand and how to like tell stories that actually got them results, but it was what I was meant to do. It was my calling. So I really found that beautiful like crossing of like, what I loved to do and what I could get like beautifully compensated for doing. Yeah. And that's essentially how I found my calling. So the next um, clip is about the episode number 27, creating a better future through more wisdom with Dr. Bruce Lloyd. Dr. Bruce Lloyd is uh, emeritus professor of strategic management of uh um, London South Bank University and a long-term friend. And um, he talked about the importance to focus on people and values much more than material. And also he made a very key distinction and difference between data, information, knowledge, and wisdom, which, you know, really understanding that from how he explained that make things really click in, uh, in our mind. And he also talked about the quality of the decision that we have that is actually based on the quality on conversation that we have. So if we want to take a better decision, we need to have better quality of conversation. So he also, you know, say that we need to rehab, rehabilitate the, um, the word leadership, because so many people are called leaders when they shouldn't be called that way. Um, so, and then we also need to ask questions that nobody is asking usually and listen to the answers that people also are giving us. So one learning and, um, asking the question that nobody is asking and second, listening to the answer. Here is the clip. I think increasingly now we've seen how that dimension and focus on people and values and the social dimension is becoming much more important 
than just the material dimension or the technology dimension. Uh, the other thing that was interesting for me, because I was originally an engineer, was that I'd been brought up on this rather mechanistic period of data, information, knowledge and wisdom, as if it was a me mechanistic progression for, through that hierarchy. And when I looked at it, and I wrote a bit about this at the time, it seemed to me that it, it didn't really work. Okay, information was about giving data more context, but knowledge was really the use of information. And quite often people talk about knowledge when they're talking about information. Mm -hmm. But if you see knowledge as the use of information, then you can see wisdom as the good use of knowledge. Mm. Because the process that we've been talking about before is a mechanistic process that hasn't got a values dimension. Now the implication of that way of looking at the pyramid is that actually your values start at the beginning as well. Your values will determine what data you're interested in mm -hmm. and that will determine what information you're... So it's a very much a dynamic process mm -hmm. of the interrelationship between data, information, knowledge right. and wisdom. wisdom. Wow. But in all the knowledge management books that I came across in the 90s, when I was looking at strategy, and it was a big time for knowledge management, first of all, they didn't talk about wisdom. Secondly, they hardly talked about people. And they talked about knowledge management as if it was a mechanistic process. Yeah, like a succession gathering the information of yeah. the organization. And and exactly, yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. But it, in yeah. essence, mm. what makes it work mm is people. Now, a development of that, and this is something again which I've, uh, it's a very simple point, but it's, I think it's a very critical point, is that after looking at strategy for quite a long time, I've come to the conclusion that the quality of decisions that get taken, that get taken in an organisation depend more on the quality of the conversations that take place in the organisation than on anything else. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't get discussed. Mm -hmm. In fact, in most strategy books, they don't talk about people issues. That should be really people issues in converse, the conversation should be the first chapter. Uh, one of my regrets, perhaps, is that I uh, never got round to... Um, writing the strategy book that I thought needed to be written. One of the key roles of leadership, there are two key issues. One is a values-driven one, and that is you have to be genuinely concerned with the long-term interests of other people. And people who are in powerful positions, but primarily concerned with their long, short-term interests, are much more likely to be megalomaniacs and leaders. <laughs> Strangely enough, and we really need to rehabilitate that word leadership, because 
quite often we're using it to apply to people who are um, even psychopaths, megalomaniacs, dictators. We have plenty of words to explain those, mm -hmm. but those people are not leaders. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you start looking at who people think are leaders, mm -hmm. you can see that the people that they come up with are the people who are genuinely concerned with the long-term interests of other people. Mm -hmm. So, so you've got that values dimension. Now, the other dimension is that they have to be well-informed, mm -hmm. or as well-informed as possible. Mm -hmm. Nobody is perfectly well-informed, yeah. these, especially these days, mm -hmm. and it's only megalomaniacs mm -hmm. who think they know everything. Mm -hmm. And I'm not particularly willing to make, mention <laughs> names at this stage, but it might come out later. But uh, probably names come to mind. Uh, but the key role then is the ability to ask questions that other people aren't asking and to seriously look at and listen to the answers and be able to bring together the answers from different sources to see how they all fit together in the decisions that need to be taken. So the next episode um, that made the top of the chart in 2019 is the episode number 25, Changing the Perception of Science and Engineering with Roma Agrell. So Roma is actually um, uh, one of the engineers who was part of building the Chard, the tallest building in London. And she talks about the challenge of engineering image and why women don't get in this uh, field, but also the original way that she met her husband. It, it's a very complicated problem. And I think if it was simple, we would have solved it by now. We lose people from all kinds of minority backgrounds uh, through all the stages at GCSE, at A-level, at university, or even apprenticeships. You know, there's very few women um, that do apprenticeship. And then I think, and, and, and it's a very complicated kind of reasoning to go into, I guess, in some ways. But image, I think, is absolutely a big part of that. So, you know, as you say, the, the only time I hear the word engineering in public life on the street is when I hear an announcement that, oh, because of engineering works, your yes. train is delayed. And immediately you have this really negative connotation of, of engineering. Um, growing up in India, it was much more part of our everyday culture. And people, parents wanted their kids to become engineers. So I was always very aware of what engineering was. It wasn't a big surprise to me in some sense. So, you know, we do need to improve the image of engineering. And I think one of my missions is not necessarily for everyone that I speak to to go and study engineering because of course that that doesn't work either but just that people be interested by it you know so that they have some a bit of literacy around science and engineering and they just look around their world and they keep that kind of childlike curiosity you know ch children are always saying how does this work why is this blue why you know how does this stand up and I, I want all of us to kind of keep that curiosity going for longer in our lives.
Yeah, yeah, I think yes. I think that is really important, this distinction. You know, um, you know, we know that we are all trying to encourage women to get involved or understanding actually the STEM, STEAM or STEMs uh, kind of subjects. <laughs> so, uh, but again, it's important that, you know, people know what are the options, what actually, uh, you know, you can do with those uh, different degrees. Because mm -hmm. some people's perception of what a degree can lead to might not be total. You know, they might only have only a slight um, image or you know uh, understanding of what where that can lead to and you know what you're doing why I think that is so important is showing people again you know that you can do fun things things are mm. not always boring and you know <laughs> not like me who only hear about these engineering works when nothing works <laughs> so but again you know you, you don't hear about that because it works <laughs> So, uh, yes, I think that is really, really important, actually, um, to really give people awareness. My own feel like in digital, uh, really op open people up to understand what are the opportunities you have, to, you can see in digital. Don't mm. have to be a coder. You know, that's not the only option. You have tons of things that you can do in the digital uh, Absolutely. world. Okay, cool. So, uh, is that true then? That you know, you you know, you your husband won your heart by sending <laughs> you emails on a bridge in the day. Tell me about that. I heard, I read that in the Guardian. What happened? Right. So I um so talking about my engagement work, one of the things I've done recently is to write a book, which is called Built: The Hidden Stories yeah. Behind Our Structures. Yep. And um, this book is aimed at non-engineers oh. and it's exactly to you know this, this, this to bring that curiosity that we were talking about so people think a little bit more about the city that they live in and um, so yes i wrote a chapter about bridges uh, which is towards the end so you have to read the whole book to get to the story okay and, um, and i guess we've we've given away the spoiler oh. so but no i i met this this man um through some mutual friends and you know, we talked about what we do and so on. And he knew I was a structural engineer. And yeah, he sent me over the period of a week, every morning, he would send me an email, which was called bridge of the day. And there was some bridge that was included in this email. Um, it was interesting, because of what it looked like, or it was an interesting country, or it had an interesting story behind it, or whatever it might be. And, and this carried on for a week. And I think it was, that was either after our first or second date. And then, you know, I agreed to go on another date with him. And then fast forward, gosh, nearly 14 years now, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, we've been together ever since then. So he definitely, he's, he's also a bit of a nerd like I am. I think he spotted my um, nerdiness and thought that, oh, this might be a good way to win her over. <laughs> wow. What if it was somebody who has sent you a flower each day? Will that all have worked? <laughs> I don't think that would have caught my attention in the same way, no. <laughs> so the next episode um, that um, was most downloaded in 2019 is day number 35. Episode number 35, The Love Intention with Naomi Sise. Naomi Sise is also a long-time friend. Um, she is uh, actually a master storyteller as well, a great international speaker. And also she talks about the power of intention and to find out why we are here. And she shares so many tips uh, to find our purpose. And also she said that we need to be 
curious about our power and our self. Here is a short clip of our interview. Well, the law of intention is just a principle and it's a mindset principle as well as a scientific um, protocol which proves that our intentions as human beings has a marked effect on how we manifest our, our um, future. And it's not just our future, it's our behaviors, it's our, the way our lifestyles, what we do, what we say, our intentions are integral to how we live our lives. And let me just put something out there. When I talk about the future, I'm actually talking about now the present because there's no such thing as the future or, or the past. We're all living it now, but we perceive it as the future and as the past. So intention and intentionality is one of those key factors scientifically proven to affect what results and outcomes we get when we are experiencing our lives. And why should we care? Well, we should care because we're living it. <laughs> we should care because we're experiencing it and we should care because we can actually direct it. And if we don't learn how to direct it, we then start to, to move into a blame culture where we, we blame other people for our, our experiences and don't understand why things are happening to me, in inverted commas. Um, things happen to us because we, we actually allow it to through our energy field and through our intentions without even knowing it. And this is why I am so adamant that these types of principles should be taught in school. Why are you here? You know, we always ask ourselves these esoteric questions. Who created the world? What is the world all about? What's the universe about? How did it come to be? Why am I here? All those kind of things, all these why, 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 whys. But if you really sit down and talk about it in, on a local level, meaning why am I specifically here on this earth? You suddenly start to get a ticking feeling about your purpose and what, is it that you do the best or what is it that you're passionate about that you would always want to do in your life? And that gives you an indication of why you're actually here on this earth because every single person I believe has a purpose on this earth which clicks into everybody else that makes them shine and makes us evolve as human beings. Um, I don't believe anyone on this earth hasn't got a purpose. It's just that we haven't revealed it to ourselves first. And so where to start is just to, to start feeling that, to feeling that you've got a purpose on this earth. And then to pick up books, just go out and pick up books, just go out and feel, um, feel out what is it that you want to read to um, plug up the, the knowledge that you think you should have, but don't have. And one of the fun ways of doing that is going back in your life and thinking about all the strange things that have happened to you. Just write this and remember them, just write them down and remember them and then try and find an answer to why those happens. And that's a fun way of doing it. Why did this actually happen? Why is it that I was speaking to somebody on the phone about a particular business and all of a sudden the next day I meet a person from that particular business that I want to join. How did that happen? And then go and find out what it, what is it that made that happen? So go into the mind, body and section books or go online and just discover. And I think the most important thing is being curious about yourself, mm. being curious about your own power, being curious about how you operate. And that will lead you on a journey to discovery. 
Yeah, I think that's great. But again, you know, be curious about yourself and uh, finding your purpose. I know that sometimes it sounds easy to say that, but it can be the most difficult thing yeah. ever to do. <laughs> can you give us some clues on how we can at least start to explain experimenting with that i remember that joe uh is it joe cameron with the yeah. uh, artist uh, way who says about the you know dating yourself and things like that but do you have some tips or you know um uh, ways that we can really do that small small you know step by step well first of all we need to identify why is it so hard mm. and one of the reasons why it's so hard is because we're bombarded with a lot of nonsense information we've got mm. our, our phones in our hands nearly 24/7 mm. we have television that that distracts us we have friends that distract us we have um, um, events and 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 life and bills and everything else <laughs> that distracts us from understanding who we really are mm. and so everything else seems like its priority to the priority of discovering you. Mm. And so therefore, the second problem is time. We kid ourselves that we don't have time to do mm. that because we have to pay the bills and we have to go to work and we have to look after the kids and we have to wash our hair and we have to da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Um, so having no time and having distractions is one of the, or two of the biggest barriers to us actually finding who we are. Mm. So I would say that the first thing is stop the distraction. You don't need to watch TV tonight. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be on your phone tonight. <laughs> you don't need to go out tonight. You may want to eat something, but you don't have to. Mm. You don't have to, like right now at this moment, I'm doing a three-day fast. So I don't have to spend my time in the kitchen cooking. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So you can get rid of the distractions and then you can start to find the time. Then we have um, the episode number 38 with um, Catherine Old, You Can Choose Again. This episode um, was one of my favorites and she explains how she used to beat herself up. And, um, you know, and when she got rid of her old thinking, she started to uncover new ways of uh, being creative and making success happen in her life. She also uh, talked about how she struggled to care for her addicted mom and also, you know, in a dysfunctional family. But this actually was a blessing in disguise because it awoken her up spiritually. So here is my conversation or a small clip with Catherine. I needed to, number one, actually get rid of some old thinking and limitations because I used to beat myself up. Some of the, the, the regrets or some of the tougher things I used to think I should have done it by now. I'm over 40 now. And it's like, I should be so much further ahead than I am. You know, I should, I should, I should, you know, and having these old expectations burdening me. Um, and in the last couple of years, something has released turning 40 and being in my 40s there where it's just actually, do you know what? I've got a bone deep sense that life is just getting better. And it is been through trials and tribulations, through struggles and challenges, but also throughout my childhood has been very much about, you know, who am I? And I think that leans into also the star profile. The star profile has this kind of journey around who am I? What is my identity? 
And we can, when we take time to reflect on our upbringing, we can see the search for identity and search for belonging in community and family and careers and this, this desire to live a meaningful life and have meaningful work. And, you know, I can definitely see that unfolding in me, but I just know that from this place moving forward, it's just getting better. And like I said, it hasn't been easy. It hasn't, definitely hasn't been easy uh, with family dynamics, you know, even choosing to be married um, and all of those practical everyday aspects, they all, you know, can feed us positively and sometimes negatively, but we need to be strong and resilient to overcome those. Yeah. But I'm super excited to where, where I find myself now in my mid forties uh, moving forward. Yeah, brilliant. So um, what actually would you say that you have struggled with the most in your life? <laughs> yeah, definitely. The biggest struggle that I found has actually been uh, my sense of family and my responsibility with my family. Um, fortunately and unfortunately, um, having done a lot of my own personal work, I have an alcoholic mother. And so the toughest thing that I've found in my upbringing, in my adult life is being a carer to her. Mm. Um, the impact of needing to care and come alongside of um, my mother with mental health disorders and with this addiction problem, it's been draining. It's super been draining. It's affected marriage and mothering and all sorts of different things. But again, being in a space of being open to keep learning to calling to be connected and aligned with meaningful work and having striving for that meaningful life has definitely helped but i would say the toughest moments in my life have been the responsibility and the choice to step in and care for her and be there for her um, through her own personal journey her personal life experience so yeah things have been pretty tough they have been pretty tough yeah yeah so perhaps this is a clue to my next question but i wanted to ask you how your childhood has prepared you to be who you are today mm, definitely a link there <laughs> with the, the roles that i find myself in what i found with life dynamics with the dynamics of family that we are you know we we come from mm. when you're coming in from dysfunction from struggle from trauma potentially levels of different abuse you as a child are awoken to different dimensions different worlds and so what i really found is that um what has unfolded is this connection to spirit i remember as a child my grandmother you know used to take me to church I did have a Christian upbringing, especially when I was at the farm and with her um, and looking at the Bible and things. So I was already tuned in, tapped in to a higher energy, a God-like presence, something greater than ourselves. Um, I took on what I wanted to, but also because of the trauma and the struggles, what I found is that my intuition awoke very early. And finally, we have the episode 39, do what you love that people value with Michelle Clark. Um, so Michelle actually uh, is the head partnership of uh, Genius You, a great platform for entrepreneurs. And she actually talk about how to make more money doing what we love and um, also the power of mentorship. Here is my clip with Michelle. 
sometimes people actually do actually what they love, but mm-hmm. do not get paid well for it. Mm. Or some people get a lot of money, but really don't like or love what yeah. they're doing. Yeah. So my question, my $1 billion question is that, how can we do both what we love and get paid well for it? Any perspective? Well, yeah. I mean, it's pretty simple. <laughs> In my mind, it's pretty simple. So you do something that you love, but you do something that someone else values. Yes. So if you just do something that you love that other people don't see value in, then you're That's not doing anything. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's your hobby. So when somebody sees value in something, they'll give you money. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if you see value in a product, you'll go buy it. If you see value in a service, you'll, you'll invest in it. So, so people only pay for something that they value. So, so you've, got to, you've got to find something that you love to do. That, not that somebody else loves you to do, but that somebody else sees real value in you doing. And it's something that makes a difference to them. And sometimes there's a compromise. So, so for those people who are doing something that they really don't like, but they're making lots of money, well, then you can compromise and maybe earn a little bit less money, but go do something you do enjoy doing a lot more and make you a lot happier. Um, maybe uh, you're, you're doing all your time something you love, but you're earning nothing. So go do something that maybe you're only spending 80% of your time doing something you love, but now you're earning some money. So there's always a way to to do that and, and to, 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 to marry the two together. And, and if you're measuring, if you're checking what the Japanese call their Ikigai, um, which you can actually go in and, and track your score, you can go and track your Ikigai score, you know, what you love to do, uh, which, uh, what you um, are really talented at, what the world needs right now, and what you get paid for. Like when you go in and actually track those scores um, and measure like which one is in alignment and which one isn't, it helps you to get clearer on where to invest your time. But definitely it is about doing something that you love that someone else sees real value in because they'll pay you for it. I also love uh, the um, wealth equation as Roger defines that, uh, which says that uh, wealth equals value time leverage. Yes. So also understanding that when you have value also, it's not just about having value, but also finding the leverage as you were talking earlier, yeah. uh, about partnership as well. So, you know, not exactly. trying to do things by yourself and also how to make sure that you have other people to leverage the value that you have. Yes. Mm. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, value is simply um, a measurement of trust. Mm. It's just simply a measurement. So the more, the more value you deliver, the more people will trust you. If you want to know, do people trust you? Then you can look at how much value you're delivering. Mm. Um, <laughs> because if they, they, they'll, they'll pay you mm. if they trust you because you're delivering value. So, so when you're focusing at that, you just focus at how do you, how do you deliver more value in a way that people can just continue to trust you even more? Um, whether that's you as an individual, whether that's, the whole team that you're in, whether that's the organization um, and, and with leverage, it, it's a, um, you, it's a measure that you're effectively utilizing the systems and the resources in a way where you can deliver more of that value. So um, yeah, that's how the, the value times leverage. If you're doing something you don't love or you know that something's not right, don't spend too long doing it. I think I spent a long time at, at, at M&S um, I don't regret it. Like you said, I don't regret it, but I did spend a long time feeling there was something else. So, so get curious, um, go see what else is out there. And, and the biggest piece of advice I would give to everyone is have a mentor, have a mentor who is way more experienced uh, at, at a way higher level than you, but who understands your profile, who understands your wealth spectrum level and gets your vision um, and cares about you. So the minute you have somebody in that position who can give you the guidance give you the leadership and give you the advice, everything changes. And I, and I mean a mentor different to a coach. So I think have a coach as well. So the coach is helping you with your business, but a mentor is somebody who's already been there, already done it. And, and instead of you 
dealing with all the challenges and the trying to figure stuff out, they've already figured it out and they can show you how to do that. Well, I hope you like the selection of the top downloaded episodes of 2019. If you haven't listened to them, go back to listen to the full episodes, which have so much more wisdom, inspiration, and practical action steps. So if you are also looking to boost your visibility in 2020 and find your unique position in the new economy to make more impact, there are two ways that you can do that. First, you can buy my book, Personal Branding in the Digital Age, how to become a known expert, thrive and make a difference in a connected world is available on Amazon, on iTunes, on, on Audible as an audiobook, paperbook and ebook. So the second way that you can make your dream happen faster this year is to book a strategic call with me to clarify your objectives. So you can do that on my website, which is francinebelli.com slash call, that F-R-A-N-C-I-N-E-B-E-L-E-Y-I.com slash call. And, um, you know, you have a form that you have to fill and then uh, we get on the call and then we'll have a strategy session of uh, 30 minutes and then we're going to explain a little bit more how we can work together. Thank you so much for listening. The show notes of this episode of Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life are available on my webpage, francinebelli.com slash podcast. That's F-R-A-N-C-I-N-E-B-E-L-E-Y-I dot com slash podcast with all the references and resources shared in this show. So if you've enjoyed this podcast and want to show your love and support Subscribe to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app where you are listening to this podcast and leave me a review. It will take you a minute, but it will mean a lot to me. And help me also to spread this message to many, many more people. I want 2020 to have access to so many people. I want so many people to have access to this podcast. And, uh, you know, leaving a review is a way for me or for this podcast to get to the top of the list. So I will see you next week for the beginning of the season five. Until then, dream. Act in it, and lots of love.